a Merry Christmas and season's greetings, whatever your faith or background. I hope you're well. Welcome back to the Football Diary podcast. I'm with Dave today. While Miles tours China to see out his 2023, teaching the locals to chant up the villa in the process. If you haven't seen that video on our socials, do check it out at Football Diary UK on X, TikTok and Instagram. But anyway, teaching Chinese strangers to cheer for Villa didn't help them this Boxing Day as they let a 2-0 lead slip at Old Trafford. As Manchester United won 3-2, we'll obviously be picking that game apart even without Miles. And also Forrest won away in their new era, in their Nuno era, a 3-1 win at St James's Park no less, thanks to a Chris Wood hat-trick against his former club. In one of the most impressive displays of the festive fixtures, and Bournemouth roll on with a thumping 3-0 win over Fulham in the mid-table Classico. And Dono Iriola's men just a goal difference away, really, from the top 10 now. Well worth a conversation there. But, Dave, season's greetings. Let's start with Nottingham Forest, shall we? What a performance. What a result. Beating Newcastle at St James's Park. And a Chris Wood hat-trick as well into the mix. Really is a, a different feeling here under Nuno Espirito Santo after just a couple of games, isn't it? Crazy, crazy game. Who would have seen this result coming? Um... You know, it's, it's underwhelming. I think Newcastle have been over the last few games and they have really struggled. But you've got to hand it to Forrest, the way you know, they took the game to Newcastle. Just, I, it should have been more. It should have been more than 3-1. Yeah. The amount of opportunities that they had in this game was, was just ridiculous. Um, the way they've evolved, I think, since Nunes come in. I think you've got to give him a lot of credit. I think he's he's had a bit of criticism, I think, from his... Obviously, his most recent tenure in the Premier League with with Tottenham Hotspur, and he yeah. wasn't there very long at all. But I think his reputation has somewhat been tainted by that, um, and I think a lot of fans have probably forgotten really of you know the achievements he's actually managed to you know get under his belt. And as, as a manager, he's a very experienced manager, and he's definitely left his imprint imprint on this team already. You can see how, compare them to how they've obviously approach games before they definitely seem to be there's a clear way of how they're trying to play i think steve cooper lost that a little bit in in sorts um their style of play was it was stuck in between sort of trying to have a kind of possession style of play but also transitioning really quickly from mm. off the and how they are doing that oh, in terms of it's it's evident that they're a counter-attacking style um, and how they're playing, and we just see that the likes of Alanga and Hudson Adore it suits them down to a T, really. Um, and I think it's a really clever move how he's brought Gibbs White back into the centre. Obviously, he was playing down the right, mm. and it, it just didn't look quite look right. Um, but obviously, with a flat back four, they've obviously gone in there and obviously playing with two slightly deeper midfielders, and then. Yeah. In this game, really, we saw how fruitful it was for them to to approach in in this game. And I thought they were quite unlucky actually in the previous in, um, previous game as well uh, against Bournemouth. Yeah. And to be honest, it, like like we mentioned, the, the amount of opportunities they they had. I think the first goal was beautifully worked. Um, Alanga had his second bite second bite at the cherry. He had another chance just before and where. Was such an easy pullback. It was mm. a tapping wood, and then he had pretty much the same <laughs> same uh, scenario the second time round. And luckily, he took the chance, and it was a harder pass this time. It was quite a difficult pullback, to be honest. Yeah, it was. Um, it was um, left it late, didn't it, to pull it across? It was a really well worked goal. Um, obviously, we've spoken about Alanga over the last couple of months, and 
what an astute signing that is for Forest, really, and at £15 million, pounds, now it's it's looking to be a really good signing and one for the future. Let's not forget, you know, he's only 21 years of age still. Um, and, you know, a lot of, uh, my, my, all of their goals pretty much um, came on the back of a counter, but it was just how they managed to pick those pockets in behind that Newcastle midfield, in between midfield and defence was really clever. The first two goals especially. Mm. Um, yeah, the second goal, Alanga did really well um, to thread a ball through to Chris Wood, who I think we've got to give him, a, give him a bit of credit, Mike. We have given him a bit of stick, to be honest, over the last couple of months. He's not, you know, he's, he's probably not the player that he was. Um, he's mm. He's not always been the most prolific striker, but... He looked like a man possessed in this game. You know, the way he took his goal was, was just absolutely yeah. emphatic. Um, well, yeah, against his old club as well. I think that's even more um, kind of meaningful for him because he didn't play many games and didn't score many goals for Newcastle, did he? And uh, I think he scored four goals in total for the club and he scored three already at St James's Park for, for Nottingham Forest. So, silence in the doubters. And, you know, me and you amongst them, we were saying that a one year is such a difficult player to replace. And, the Forest system and under Steve Cooper, at least anyway, you couldn't see how Wood would kind of fill that like for like. And the answer is he hasn't really filled it like for like, has he? What Nuno Espirito Santo has done is kind of no surprise, really. And like you say, we've kind of forgotten what kind of manager and what kind of style he had when he was Wolves manager. It was fairly pragmatic, but quite explosive on the counter. And he did that here to full effect. And I think the, the the back four really helped. I think it gave them the stability with the the front two in in front of them in the field. Sangare and, and Danilo really helped shield that defence. I thought Murillo again was outstanding. He's just a brilliant defender, isn't he? But for me, I think it's the pace that Wood needed to make that counter attack work that really helped. Uh, like you say, Alanga was just explosive, wasn't he? On the on this counter, Gibbs White and Hudson Adoy as well. A, a great to see Hudson Adoy playing part of these attacking transitions too. And in some ways, Wood kind of dropped behind those players coming alongside him, didn't he? he dropped a bit deeper to wait for them to do the running and, and provide the pass. And, you know, quite often they did. And I'm surprised Wood didn't get more. And that's another thing. Chris Wood scoring three goals against Newcastle, um, it's, it just doesn't feel real, does it? It's such a surreal thing to say. But credit to him. Him and, and Forrest have started life under Nuno really, really well. And I think Forrest fans will feel kind of a little bit tentative letting Steve Cooper go from the club and he was a really popular figure but I think Nuno's gone about it the right way in this new era hasn't he into winning them over in some ways yeah I think the thing you mentioned there about Chris Wood not doing as much running I think he mentioned that actually in one of his recent um interviews that it's helped him so much in that he only has to run 20-30 yards as opposed to running 60 yards up the pitch, um, that he has those players either side with the pace and, you know, the ball carrying that um, Hudson-Odoi and Alanga possess, that, that skill yeah. is so vital to them. Um, and you can see he's profiting from that. Um, and, yeah, like you mentioned, I think the way that they're, they're playing at the minute, I think the way they want to attack teams, that suits them down to the team. I mean, this, in this particular game, the the XG I think that's the highest XG they've ever had in a Premier away Premier League game since mm, stats so. three point four six or something like that which is ridiculous but I don't, for that for for me that doesn't even tell the whole story of the game I thought they could have easily had four or five goals um, mm. we have we have mentioned that you know the wide players are probably let's be honest they're not nowhere near their peak at the minute you know there's plenty of room for improvement we've spoken about Alangu's still a little bit raw around the rough around the edges. 
um, in certain moments we've seen it. You know, we've both seen it, particularly as United fans. But yeah. I think there's plenty of room for improvement, and there's a lot of uh, encouragement there. I think for Forest fans to see the, how they've actually tackled this this particular game, which I can, you know, I can't imagine that many would have thought they'd be coming away with a point, let alone three points. Yeah, well, they needed it because Luton are breathing down their necks. You know, they've got a game in hand over them, and they could bring, you know, they could drag, drag um, you know, Everton back into the relegation zone as well. So there's a couple of teams below them that are finding form. Everton being one of them. Um, so yeah, they needed to have some breathing space, really, didn't they? And um, this gives them that for now, Nottingham Forest. But as for Newcastle, their slide continues, doesn't it? They're really struggling in the league. They've only won one in the last five. Europe has really taken its toll. And I know there's a lot of teams going to be saying that fatigue's a real problem for them this season. Are Newcastle kind of right to be saying that as well? Are they any different to anyone else? Are they going to feel the fatigue anymore? Um, or are they just making excuses at this point? What is Newcastle's level? Is this kind of what you expected from them now? Or have they genuinely got a right to feel aggrieved with the amount of fixtures they've had and the intensity of them? I think it was always going to be difficult to improve on that last season. You know, there was a, there's obviously massive expectation on this side now and Eddie Howe and He's almost a victim kind of his own success, really, from last season. Yeah. I think there are, there are big expectations. And let's be honest, you know, they've, they've had a lot of difficulties in terms of injuries and, you know, the fixture pile up. And I think the way they actually approach games is, is probably not particularly great for them in terms of conditioning and fitness. You know, they put so much energy into their performances, the way they like to play the games it's got to be draining and it's got to take its toll at some point and I think that is the case to be honest we've seen that a little bit more so and um, particularly these last few weeks I think the quicker they can get some players back in will be you know so beneficial to them um yeah. I think it, it, I'd, I saw obviously it wasn't this game it was the the game against Luton was it I think the crowd got on the backs a little bit in terms of um booze and things like that oh, I don't know about that I think it's a little bit too yeah. soon for that for that and I think you know especially Newcastle the support that they have as a fan base is absolutely spectacular I think the best thing you can do right now is get behind this team and the manager and um because they're going to need it really yeah and moving on to the next game actually um which I can't wait to talk about which is Man United 3 Villa 2 I know Villa will have their complaints as well about feeling slightly tired their squad was slightly deplete, depleted and we'll talk about Villa in a moment but let's talk about United in a positive way first of all shall we Dave Miles isn't here to kind of shed some light on what Villa's shortcomings were but United coming back from 2-0 down at half time Patrice Everett said in the uh, in the studio didn't he for Amazon that he could see if United continued the way they were going that they were going to pull this game back and they did. It's like Nostradamus wasn't in the studio. And I think on WhatsApp, you were saying the same to me. You know, they're playing all right. If they keep going, they're going to score. But that comeback, that 3-2, was reminiscent of some of the, the turnarounds we've seen in the last decade, isn't it? Last 15 years of, of the Ferguson era. And I think we're one of the most prolific clubs in history at turning games around in that fashion. But we haven't seen it for so long that it felt like we didn't have that kind of bottle. But I think this game proves that some of these players, in particular, Garnacho, Rasmus Hoyland with his winning goal, I've got what it takes, really, the determination to kind of dig deep when needed to. It was, it was kind of a much-needed result for United, wasn't it, and for fans to see as well. Yeah, I mean, firstly, on those comments, I think those comments kind of ring true when it, you speak about United teams of the past. I think the, the shocking thing for me, really, and for, I can imagine a lot of United fans, is that nothing really showed that that was particularly possible or that was going to happen. We've not seen anything from United 
over the last few months, you know, arguably the last two or three years, to suggest that they're going to come up with those kind of comebacks. Um, and I think that's why it was such a surprise to see them play the way that they did, I think, in that second half. Um, obviously, you know, Villa were a shadow of themselves in that second half. You look like the, the toll had been had taken on them, really, particularly over the last few weeks. They've had some massive games and some draining games as well. Um, they actually navigated the first, I think, 25, you know, half an hour of the game quite well. Yeah. Um, but there were there were signs, to be honest, from United. They were starting to win the ball back further up the pitch. They were forcing Villa into unforced errors and turnovers where you wouldn't normally see that. Um, and then for me, I think the most impressive thing is that's the best, I think, we've pressed the team for a long while in terms of collectively, yeah. not just individuals. Um, we're actually kind of pressing higher up the pitch and cutting those sort of passing lanes and actually, I think, making players think twice about playing certain passes and that creates doubt in opposition minds and I think that's what forced the mistakes. I know a lot of people will say, you know, there was a couple of players that were missing in Bubakar Kamara and obviously Pau Torres who, you know, vital to the way that Villa play. But, I mean, you can only beat what's in front of you. I think, you know, particularly the way that United... I think the, the, the thing that a lot of people probably question is where that belief came from in the second half. Because this has looked like, this has looked like a team that's been, you know, completely devoid of belief and... It's just something we've kind of been asking for, at least a performance. If we can't get a win, it's just completely been lacking um, from this team well, for, for a while and fans fans have grown impatient. So to see the performance that they put in, particularly in the second half, was was brilliant. Well, to see the, the goals for Villa go in, I mean, it was typical United defensive lapsing, wasn't it, really? With obviously McGinn's goal going straight in from a free kick. You know, Anana should really deal with that or a defender should deal with that. Someone should just get some contact on it and get rid of it. Um, but then also the second goal, um, I just think, I just think that both the goals were just so clumsy to concede. And I think that's why you're, you're trying to make the point that United this season so far would have just let that game get away from them, wouldn't they, normally? And they didn't. So they got to half-time just about and came out, I'm guessing, because there were a few words said in, in the dressing room at half-time from Ten Hag, and I think he almost hinted to say that, you know, you guys are playing okay. You know, some of the balls you're playing are just missing the timing jumps. And I think that's what the secret was for me. United could sense that high line from Villa. Played it really well in terms of the timing of the passes. In the first half, some of the passes from like Bruno Fernandes and Christian Eriksen were offside. You know, they weren't catching the run right of the forward or, you know, they were just a little bit too hard and weren't quite the right pace. But in the second half, most of the passes we played seemed to create a dangerous attack. And we're one of the few teams, I think, to exploit Villa's high line for, for our benefit. And United have got the potential to do that with the players we've got. And I think a couple of the players that really took advantage of that were Marcus Rashford, who seemed to come back to form in some way in this game, didn't he? He wasn't perfect by any means, but he really enjoyed this game, I think. And that's the first time I've seen him enjoy a game for a long time. But Alejandro got Nacho. What a performance from him. Man of the match. And oh, he's just a world-class player in the making, isn't he? His two goals were like the cherry on the cake for him. Absolutely. And like like I mentioned to you, I, th I said that... Obviously, United team probably of last season. This the way that Villa play is probably tailor made for them, um, and then mm. they expose 
those sort of opportunities that come to them in behind and Rashford probably if you know last season will probably have got himself a goal in this game or you know created a couple more I think he still looks a little bit rusty in certain moments but the, I think there was definitely reason for for optimism in this game he just looks more himself he looks more tuned in um mm. aware of his surroundings and he was looking for those balls in behind and obviously got you know a really good assist I have to be slightly critical of him for that disallowed goal because I think I just think he made the wrong decision in playing the ball through there there was still quite a lot for Garnacho to do there and did really well to finish to be honest but obviously it was very marginally onside but I think if he could just carry on running it would have been a simple tapping um, because he, there was a massive space there really for him to run into and in ways it was quite similar to actually the first goal really in the way it came about so it was the same combination again um, but we can we've spoken about obviously Garnacho and you know his potential over the last few weeks. He's you know looked great in this game. Another player I think it's worth mentioning is probably Christian Eriksen because he's come into this game and all of a sudden United look a lot more composed on the ball. Um, they're a lot more controlled when they're in possession, and just the IQ and intelligence that he has about his game is it's just another level than any other player in the team. Um, and that's something that we've mentioned about United as a team. I think they do lack a little bit of sort of game intelligence um, yeah. in the way of controlling games. Um, and then two other players, who, actually one of them's had a lot of stick. I think Diego Dalla was a had a brilliant performance. Um, yeah. I think very balanced as well. I thought he played really well coming carrying the ball forward and defensively really good. And then Kobe Mainu, well, I thought had a great game again, particularly the second half. Yeah. I thought second half, it was an absolute monster in midfield. I think he won like five uh, aerial duels out of six as well, which is crazy, you know. Yeah. He doesn't look like a particularly imposing guy, does he? Um, no, well, it's just a mature display, wasn't it, all around? And it's not his first this season. Absolutely, you know, it's, it looks like a guy beyond, beyond his years, really, doesn't he? How he plays the game, he just, he knows when to slow it down, he knows when to keep hold of the ball and play you know play it backwards if it needs to if it needs to just calm the game and, and he knows when to play it forwards he's got a real eye for the pass as well as we've seen in the last couple of weeks and yeah, yeah it's, it's quite encouraging i feel like we've been around this we've been around this course before haven't we you know where we get optimistic and we get excited about our performance yeah. and then you know we go <laughs> perform absolutely terribly the next game so i think you just got to take it a game at a time really uh, there's players yeah, coming well, back from that, that's that's another big thing as well. I think Martinez is back in January. Um, Ahmed Diallo is coming back, who you know had a really good season at Sunderland. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he can make an impact in this team. But I thought the game itself, it was you know it was a real classic, really. To be honest, a classic Man United game, like you mentioned. Well, before we talk about um, Villa and what it means for them, let's just have a quick word on the the takeover situation. So, the twenty five percent minority ownership from Ineos. It's been ratified by the Premier League, I think, at this moment in time. But obviously, the talk is, as we expected, I think in the, the statement that they released, it's going to be the football side of the business being run by Ineos. I don't know how I feel about that as a United fan and how that's going to work, because I don't doubt the Glazers will want to have their hooks in pretty much everything. But from what I hear, everything's got to be going through Ineos and Jim Ratcliffe before it's been decided, whether that be sacking the manager, or transfer decisions 
So I don't know how many times this will work if the Glazers remain stubborn and hold their ground about certain things. They need to kind of trust Ineos to do their side of the job. And I think for me, I feel like there's too much confusion in the water at the minute. Although it does feel like a step away from the Glazers, a very small step away from the Glazers, it almost muddies the waters a little bit too much for any concrete business decision to be made, don't you think? Yeah, it's still a little bit hazy, I think, until, you know, Ratcliffe comes out and, you know, gives specifics on the exact sort of terms of, of the deal and what it means for the yeah. club going forward and what it means for his sort of long-term sort of aspirations in full ownership of the club because, you know, he's kind of made that clear that he, he does want to own the club back right, um, you know, one day. Um, then there's going to be a lot of speculation. Um, I, I think the sooner the better that they come out and obviously this deal gets ratified by the Premier League, like you mentioned, the better because there's, there is a little bit of uncertainty there with everything that's going on. But I think they've, they've released a couple of um, things, haven't they, to kind of, I think, put fans at ease. I think it's, uh, yeah. I think if if the, I think, is it within 18 months if, um, if Ratcliffe, um, could potentially be forced to set to sell if it's um if it isn't if he doesn't look to pursue a, a full deal then his shares can potentially be put forward for purchase again um so but it all points towards me that 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 the glazers want out i think they did want a full full buyout but mm. at this moment in time they couldn't really get what they wanted i think they definitely wanted more buyers um involved and that's quite clear, really. Obviously, with obviously Sheikh Jassim and the Qatar uh, situation, they were obviously un- unwilling to, to to put up the cash, which you know they apparently they wanted between six and seven million, six and seven billion, sorry, which is oh, frankly yeah. for the position that the club's in. Um, so I'm not. I don't think I'm particularly worried at this moment in time. I, I'm eager to hear. You know what changes Ratcliffe is going to make on the football side. Um, like you yeah. mentioned there, if the it sounds like the Glazers are willing to give them full sort of ownership of decisions based around on the football side, which will mean really they'll take the responsibility for, for any decision making. Um, and let's be honest, the 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 the, the experience that the Ineos have um, and some of the, the people that. Sounds like they're going to bring in. Um, I think there's a lot of lot of uh, cause for optimism amongst fans at the moment. I was going to say on that note, are you optimistic now? Any more optimistic? I think I think I am, but I'm also I'm st- still slightly cautious. But I'm you know I, I am optimistic that this will be a good move for the club. Um, it's probably not the ideal move that we we needed. Um, we, yeah. You know, I think a lot of fans would have wanted a full buyout. Um, obviously for whatever reason at the minute and mainly revolve around money that's not been possible um so i mean this is the next best thing rather than having the glazers in you know full control of the club in terms of making decisions which clearly it's gone to you know gone to part over the last 10 you know the last decade have been an absolute mess really um where do you with that um but like you, like you say, I, th- I, th- I think it will be a good move for the club. And let's just see what happens in the new year, because I think that's over the next few weeks, that's when they say six to eight weeks, I think. It should be ratified yeah. by them. So I, th- I think that's saying that Ratcliffe isn't going to 
isn't going to say anything until the, the deal is sort of you know over the line. Mm. On Aston Villa, then, um, obviously, there were a few shortcomings exposed here with a few key players missing, like you say, um, kind of disrupting their, their rhythm because they played so well of late, haven't they? And had some big results. But missing players like Pal Torres, uh, Bukas and Mark Kamara obviously suspended. Um, big miss for them in the middle, wasn't he? But in a battle that was kind of won there by United. But they shouldn't feel too kind of downbeat by this, should they? They're still very much in the race for the top four. I know there were some Villa fans kind of looking higher than top four and thinking maybe there's a chance for the title here, which, you know, is still on. It still could happen. And it's results like this that I think make Villa fans frustrated because, you know, there's, they, they could have done more. They didn't play too well, did they, on the balance of play. But do you think Villa fans should feel optimistic? Do you think Miles is feeling optimistic right now after this? I mean, Miles said the other week, if I'm not mistaken, that he's more confident than ever playing Man United at the minute. I mean, that's <laughs> he did. <laughs> 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 he marked the Boxing Day game, didn't he? And it didn't quite work yeah. out the way he probably thought it was going to work out um i mean to be honest that's probably all three of us didn't it didn't pan out the way we thought it would we thought this would be you know another another loss um i think it's more annoying for villa fans because i think you can accept dropping points at old trafford but you've just dropped points against sheffield united in a game which you know you should if you're pursuing top four um, a champions league spot you know you're whatever you're expected to win that game um, and yeah, they just didn't turn up for that game. And this game, they looked very comfortable for half an hour. I think that's the more the more annoying thing for them is that they put themselves in a really strong position in the game and they lost a 2-0 lead, which is doesn't happen very often, to be honest. And for a, a manager like Unai Emre, who's known for being quite disciplined in, in certain games as well, um, they were very open. They were very open in this game, and they left opportunities yeah. there for United to to expose. Um, like you mentioned, those passes in behind were a real problem for them. Um, that's the thing that was a stubbornness in the manager. Really, I think was probably the, the downfall. It didn't make any changes in there to kind of counteract what United did. United weren't doing anything different. You know, they were they yeah. were trying to attack Villa in their spaces, pressing them. You know, the the aggression in the press was was really good and it was hard for them to deal with at the end of the day and Villa didn't really try anything different to kind of counteract that. Yeah, Villa's still having a very good season by all accounts and I think that will continue, I really do. Um, another team that I think is, is flying up the league at the minute and really catching the eye, we've mentioned them before on the podcast, is, is Bournemouth, Dave. Um, who kind of swapping places with Fulham in the table, who have lost three in a row now, I think, beating them 3-0 um, this week um, and looking impressive, really impressive. And Danny Iriola has got Bournemouth playing a style of football now that looks really clinical and dynamic on the attack, doesn't it? And the patience that the board and the fans have shown in him is really paying off. And I know that's cliche because he was probably maybe one defeat away from being sacked, wasn't he, at the start of the season after the terrible run they had at the beginning. But there's a few players in this win that really showed some of the promise that this team can have going forward. Um, Solanke's, Dominic Solanke's one in the best form of his career, I think. And that's, I think, in no small part down to Iriola. The setup is built for Solanke to thrive, and he had done in the last few games. Tavernier and Semenyo played really well again. Clivert scored a goal. I haven't seen that uh, for a while. It seems still quite novel to see a Clivert on the score sheet, doesn't it? Uh, and Alex Scott as well getting the game. And 
his run to set up the goal for for Clivet was fantastic. So the way they're playing, it's really pleasing on the eye. And I'm really pleased with the guy because he had a tough start to his life at Bournemouth, didn't he, Iriola? But he's proven the doubt was wrong. Absolutely. I think in terms of it's got a li- it's got a little bit sort of an air of the the I think the, particularly the the squad. Um, I think the squad effort of Newcastle last year, it's got a little bit of an air of that about it, this Bournemouth, Bournemouth team, because they've, they've had a few injuries as well. A lot of few players that haven't been available. Um, Lewis Cook yeah. obviously was injured for this game. Kirk Hez is injured. Tyler Adams hasn't been available. Um, Hamid Triore's been ill, I think, for three or four games as well, who looked really promising in this team as well. And I think the stat, is, which is quite interesting, actually, which shows actually the contribution of a lot of this team, and particularly offensively 13 players in this team in the Premier League have one or more assists in the league wow. um, the highest assist maker they've got is Marcus Tavernier with just three so it, I think it just goes to show that uh, you know a lot of the create there's a lot of creativity kind of all throughout the team and team and players who are making a contribution not just you know not just the bat there's a lot of defenders in there who, uh, who are providing a bit of you know, imagination as well going forward. Um, you mentioned Alex Scott there, that the way, you know, he created that goal was outstanding. And look, this is a player who, I think it was a deal worth up to 25 million, you know, which is it's a big it's deal, really, up. for a championship player. Um, be interesting, actually, to know, you know, that in terms of championship players moving to the Premier League, how, where that is on sort of the, uh, on, in the table for most expensive, for most expensive um Transfers from yeah, Chelsea, um, but he looks like a real player. And last season, you know, he got I think he got young uh, young player of the year from the championship. He looked really good for Bristol City. I think Pep Guardiola came out and said, you know, he looks like a top class player. Jack Grealish said, you know, had some big words about him as well. And when they played them in the FA Cup, so it's you know it's promising times for them. I think you look at like Dominic Solanke. I think it just go. It actually speaks volumes with the amount of goals that he's actually scoring this year. Is that the team are built around him, and yeah. you know he's finally getting the service um, that you know he deserves. And twelve league goals in eighteen Premier League games is yeah, you know, a record so far. And uh, it'd be interesting to see how he do, how he does what he ends up on the end of the season because. You know, it's only this last seven or eight games that Bournemouth have really put a run together. I think it's six wins in the last seven, seven league games. I think they're probably the informed yeah. team in the league at the minute. Um, they've really turned it around. And, um, you know, Solanke is pivotal to that. His goals um, are really everything. But it's really good to just see everyone else contributing. Sinisteria, what a goal that was. You know, what a strike. Yeah. Um, yeah. It seems like their recruitment is actually coming together at the minute. Um, because a lot of the a lot of the players are really performing, um, and it's a team yeah. performance. It's not just the individuals like you meant, would mention. Yeah, that's the key, isn't it? When you watch Bournemouth, and this game was like the biggest example of that. All the players had a very clear role to play, and they all played their part brilliantly. They're all geared towards attacking in a certain way, and as you say, Solanke has has not really had the kind of service in his career that he's having now. Apart from when Bournemouth went down to the Championship for a couple of seasons and the standard dropped and, you know, he scored quite a few goals in the Championship. This is the first of Dominic Solanke we've seen where his potential looks like it's fulfilled. Because he's a different kind of striker, isn't he, to most Premier League strikers. He's not the most orthodox forward. 
and he needs that kind of level of service to kind of accommodate the way he plays and the kind of space he needs and he's kind of finding that space now brilliantly and that's all engineered by the way this attack revolves around him and i'm glad because he was an absolute shining star for the england team that won the under 17s world cup i think it was wasn't it he was like one of the star players he's come through the england youth ranks he's obviously played at the top level for chelsea and liverpool and he had that potential to do brilliantly and there were doubts i had doubts about Solanke. But there might be, maybe, an outside small chance that he could get England recognition in the next few months, maybe. Even as an experiment, if he continues his form. And I know there's not much time left until the Euro squad announcement, but surely he's one of the most informed English strikers, so therefore he deserves a chance, right? Absolutely. For me, you know, I think the only thing he's not going against him is there's limited opportunity, really, for him to kind of make a mark. Yeah. Um, and something we actually said was you know, quite unfortunate, really, for younger players that are coming coming through and sort of really performing the likes of Cole Palmer as well. Um, yeah. You know, it's, there's not many opportunities now, I think, between then the actual tournament. For them to actually pull on that England jersey and, um, you know, kind of have an audition, so to speak. Um, but I, I think, you know, outside of Ollie Watkins, um, you know, Callum Wilson's had an opportunity already that, Newcastle are struggling at the minute. Um, you know who's to, who's not, who's to say whether he whether he can, whether he can't. You know, I, th I think he should he should get an opportunity, and whether he does get that before the you know before the tournament itself, um, will be interesting to see. Like I mentioned, we know how competitive that that squad is, particularly uh, in the attacking areas. Um, mm. I think there'll be two or three spots prob potentially for a, for a striker. Um, I think Ollie Watkins is going to be the other by the looks of it. So there is the space, you know, for, for Solanke to push Callum Wilson out of the equation. Yeah, I think there's, um, in terms of form, I think that's probably the more realistic option, to be fair. But mm. Bournemouth flying. Um, they are 12th in the league now. They're only behind 10th um, place on goal difference, but they've got a game in hand over the teams of both of them, Wolves and Chelsea, and a very realistic chance of, of going into the top 10, which I think is an incredible statement of how much progress they've made under Iriola since uh, that terrible run at the start of the season. So, well played to Bournemouth. Um, another team that look like they're trying their hardest to scrap their way out of trouble is Luton Town. Uh, just to finish the pod, Dave, I know there's a lot of football to cover this week, but these are the highlights for me. And I think Luton potentially climbing out of the bottom three against all the odds. You know, they've got a game in hand over both Everton and Forest. If they win that, they climb out the bottom three, drag Everton down into that that mix now. They beat Sheffield United 3-2 by virtue of two own goals. So, you know, it was a scrappy win uh, which got them there. But I think with Luton, you've got to consider how much adversity they've faced in the last few weeks. You know, we, we hear now that Tom Lockyer, the captain, is recovering, is doing well. And I think the club are keen to keep the focus off him, to have his privacy, to recover him in private. We don't know whether he'll sort of take part in a professional football game again but it's just good to see him happy and healthy but the effect that had on Luton immediately after that game that was postponed was clear wasn't it they played at home as well in the last game before this um, mm. and galvanised the team to a win um, obviously the manager's really close to the player you could see the effect it had on him and the bounce they've had since then and I know it's simplistic to say that it's because of the adversity they've been through but I feel like it's kind of brought the team more together Luton and made them a difficult unit to beat and despite the quality not quite being amazing and winning against Sheffield United in such a scrappy fashion kind of shows that 
they've got the spirit, I think, to kind of pull some pull themselves out of trouble in some ways, haven't they? They they're a dangerous team to play against at the minute because they are so together and so um formidable as a team and as a unit. Yeah, I think that's something the manager said, wasn't it? The obviously the, the situation with Tom Lockyer. Um you know, even before that they were they were together. You know, their together togetherness yeah. was a real strength for the team, but this has actually galvanised them even more because they want to, you know, they want to perform for him and they they want to obviously make uh, Lockie proud. And I, th- I think that I think the thing for me, particularly in certain games, is they actually always strong. They start the game so strongly. They start on the front foot, um, yeah. and that's shown a lot about their character. I think coming into this league, they've shown that they're not you know afraid of opposition of certain teams. You know that they're they're not showing teams too much respect and the intensity that they play their games is just so admirable. Um, I think a lot of us had doubts, didn't we, particularly coming in, you know, into the league and we thought it would be a sure thing that, you know, the three teams that came up would be the three teams that go go down. And I think actually a lot of us thought that Burnley would have a better, you know, a better chance of staying up and it's, it's well, you know, it looks like the complete opposite of that. Um, and... Uh, you, you, obviously, the the Newcastle game for me was, you know, absolutely outstanding, and yeah. it's just the question really whether they can keep this going and really build on this, and um, if they could potentially, you know, make a couple of signings in the in the January window just to give them a little bit sort of a bit of strength in depth, because I think the only thing you can say at the minute is if they get a couple of key injuries, whether they've got that strength in in depth and the numbers. To keep to obviously not run out of steam because that's my only worry for them at, for them at the minute. Mm. Um, but a lot of the players that have come up and come into this team, and a lot of players who had question marks where they could perform at this level, they've shown that they can at the minute, and that's been the thing for me. Is it's mm. it's a huge surprise, like a huge surprise for I think everyone. But they're fresh of fresh air for this for this league. Yeah, well, this was the first kind of proper relegation six-pointer I think we've had this season, wasn't it? Luton, Sheffield mm-hmm. United. And um, the quality wasn't amazing from both teams, but to get the three points, I think, really has put that distance and that daylight between Luton and obviously Burnley and Sheffield United below them. And they do look like the only team out of those three to have a chance of escaping relegation, don't they now? And uh, I think with momentum and goodwill in their favour, they've got a very good chance of at least making a fight of it until the end, which I think is a massive achievement for Luton, considering their resources and the adversity they've had so far this season. So, you know, well played to Luton. That's, uh, dare I say, hats off, excuse the pun, to Luton for performing so well so far. But that's all we've got time for for the podcast this week. Uh, Thanks once again for joining us. We won't see you again until the new year. So a massive Happy New Year in advance to all our watchers, all our listeners, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on any audio platform. Really appreciate your support this year. This year, 2023 has been our biggest year for growth for the podcast. So really, really super grateful for everything that everybody's done to contribute to this channel over the last 12 months. It's been such a ride and it will continue into the new year. So thank you. Uh, Dave, as always, blazes out, mate. Happy New Year. Cheers, mate. See you soon. (laughs)